I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, who are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water and now biodegradable. From fertility to birth, pandemic parenting to taking care of ourselves, here we talk the insane joy and anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum, from that first nappy change to those messy weaning months, water wipes, the world's purest baby wipes. Made here in Ireland, water wipes are now 100% biodegradable and compostable wipes. With the same purity and quality as before, they are ideal for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. As the number one wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products, and this podcast. You can love your baby, but have experienced trauma while they entered the world. You can love your baby and carry so much fear because of what happened during birth. You can love your baby and have rising anxiety, panic attacks, pain and PTSD. You can love your baby and say birth caused you harm. In this week's episode, Digital editor of Image magazine, Dominic McMullen, shares a very open and honest account of her first baby's birth, which some of you may find triggering. We talk about the physical, emotional and mental toll it took on a mother in love. We talk about how, as a society, we swoop in to coo over the baby, but often ignore the woman. And so we do the same. We focus on the baby, not allowing ourselves to say, I need care. We talk about how a miscarriage, a pandemic, and a bottle of wine finally led Dominique to reach her tipping point, and how incredibly powerful therapy has been to her healing process. Now just weeks away from giving birth again, Dominique and I hope this episode, her lived experience, can normalize how for some women, for some births, trauma is a very real thing. Dominique, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum the Podcast today, especially because you are on a little mini break with your family and you are making this time for us, which I am so appreciative of because I know that time is rare. (laughs) Peace and quiet is rare. Um, And you are so soon to welcome another baby into the family um, and then time will be even more rare. But thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's so nice. I wouldn't wouldn't give up the opportunity to chat. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I will hold you to that. I will hold you to that because I, I would love to meet up properly. The reason that I wanted to talk to you um is for well, for lots of reasons. Firstly, I think that you are you are an inspiration and that you share so many stories from women and perspectives that need to be talked about. So from that perspective, I'm like yes fully signed up to the Dominique camp Mm -hmm. um but also you've shared your own personal experience of your first birth the birth of your son Mm -hmm. um how you felt during and after you've also been quite honest about sharing your loss Mm -hmm. and also very honest about how you are preparing yourself mentally emotionally for the next birth and I think the topic of birth trauma 
is something that women need to have a space to talk about without it detracting from the love. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. You can experience trauma and you can still love the baby that you have. Of course. And I think that's, that's such a big part of motherhood full stop is that ambivalence is that ability to do two things and feel two things simultaneously, you know? Um, yeah, I, I I think it's so important to share these stories. And I think, you know, like it's the basis for my work, but also just everything. I just think it's so important for women to talk. And I think there's so much shame and stigma and prudishness mm-hmm. based around motherhood. Um, and I think, you know, if I can just move the needle a little bit by having these conversations, then you're doing the right thing. Um, or or that if you... If you complain, you're not grateful. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it, it, which couldn't be further from the truth. You know what I mean? I, I, like, like you said. So I'm now. If we go back to the beginning, <laughs> let's let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> so I had Kai two years and two months ago, um, and now I am seven and a half months pregnant. Um, and I also had, I'm sorry, my baby monitor's on. (laughs) So if you hear any noises, that's him. Um, so I had a miscarriage also last September. Um, and I kind of just had a real, real run of it really from Kai's birth. I mean, I went into Kai's birth. I was really prepared or as prepared as you can be for the birth of your first child. I'd done a lot of reading, a lot of research. like I'd done hypnobirthing courses, I'd done birthing courses with my partner. Uh, I was not expecting it to be all rosy in the garden by any means, but I certainly wasn't expecting what was coming. Um, I don't think, I think there's a lot of secrecy around the the real terrifying things that can happen in birth. Um, so I went into it and yeah, with my eyes open, but was, was, was also, also obviously extremely shocked by what happened. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to go again immediately afterwards. I, for probably six months said, absolutely, there's no way. Um, and then, you know, even as a kid, I was always one of those kids growing up that always said, you know, I always had loads of babies and Mm. I always wanted to have loads of children. It was just something that I'd always said and always kind of felt, um and about six months after Kai we started to talk about it um I certainly we can go into this in more detail in a bit but like I was certainly suffering from PTSD um and I kind of I suppose about a year afterwards I kind of stopped the the symptoms really went away and I started to feel a little bit better um so the following spring when Kai was born, we, we decided to go again. I think I actually just put out of my mind what birth would be like. I just mm. didn't even think about it. Uh, and then, yeah, and then it was just one thing after the other. So then the pandemic hit. My mom got very, very sick with COVID, um, was hospitalized mid, like at the very beginning of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, I, we, we got pregnant uh then I miscarried my granddad died a few different things happened and then I had a gigantic panic attack in November 
the end of November last year. And I think that was a real turning point for me where actually the fact that I had been pregnant and miscarried brought up a lot of stuff about Kai's birth mm-hmm. um, and it all kind of piled on at once. Um, and so I started therapy in December and have definitely since then been building myself back up. And, and I really do mean that, you know, you have to knock yourself down a little bit to build back up again. Um, and doing it in a way, talking about Kai's birth and talking about my relationship with my body, because it's been through a lot, um, in a safe way, talking about it in a way that uh, I'm, I'm really like through the therapy, learning to like listen to the way I'm breathing, listen to the way, you know, I'm if my shoulders tense up or if I, you know, and to recognize that and to let my body know you're safe um because trauma is a fascinating thing you know it doesn't go away it lives in your body and you need to really physically process it um and I talked about the birth a lot afterwards but in a in an unsafe way like I'm a talker I talk about everything I I don't really I probably should hide a little more than I do (laughs) (laughs) um but I didn't talk about it in a way that was safe or that let myself know that I could go through those memories and process them. Like, I don't know how sciencey, do you know about the amygdala and trauma? Absolutely. Yeah. And how yeah. we just, we hold on to it at a cellular level. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it eats into us. And if we don't process it, it is what illness becomes. It is what dis- disease is. It's a yeah. disease. And it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I, I definitely, um, I think I was suffering from really severe anxiety, actually, all at the end of last year. But as I started to do therapy, but I was unaware of it. And I was just kind of working through a fog. I had a toddler. I had a very busy job. I, you know, I just was working through and keeping going. In survival um, mode. Yeah. And I think through the therapy, I started to realize, the, I started to notice the anxiety physically. Um, and I'd never had anxiety before. And I've learned so much about it that's fascinating. Um, that trauma and anxiety um, is your amygdala, which is your caveman brain, you know, the, the part of your brain that's been around for, you know, since the beginning of time. And it can't tell the difference between real threat or your thoughts or your emotions. Imagined threat. Imagine threat. And, and, and after it's been through a couple of traumatic experiences that you haven't fully you know, processed, it, if you start to think about those things or even subconsciously those things are going on in the back of your head, it wakes up and it's a we're under attack again. You know? So it increases your heart rate and pumps you with adrenaline, gets, gets you ready to run because it's imagining there's a lion outside the cave. Um, and all sorts of other things, you know, like loosens your bowels and like makes you sweat and makes, gets rid of your appetite, makes you throw up, like all these things to prepare your body to either run or fight. Um, and those things were, were, were really happening to me. I, you know, and I still, like, I'm not out of the woods. Being pregnant has definitely like lit something in me that's like, okay, hang on. Oh Jesus. So we're going to do this again. Um, but what I've been able to do through therapy and what I think is the best way to deal with trauma is to, I, I literally recount my birth story and I, I recount it in a really safe way. And if I need to stop and take a breath and let my amygdala know it's okay. There isn't a lion outside. 
we're all safe we can think about this in a safe way um and it's reclaiming that story for myself because like you say it's an amazing story and i love him and i'm so grateful for for what we went through together um so it's reclaiming the memories as well you know I think what's really incredible about how our brains work in terms of that survival mode and how it is there and it's designed to keep us alive. It's designed for us to awaken to threat. And it is something that firstly, if it's a constant and chronic, Mm. that's just how you now live. You just live in a state of awareness for fear. And that is heightened post-birth anyway. Mm. even if you've had as positive a birth as a birth can be as a mother protecting a vulnerable baby though those things in your brain that you spoke about they're on fire because Mm. you are now responsible for keeping this little little baby this the thing that you love most in the world alive Mm. so it is without a doubt going to happen but when it happens after a relative trauma yeah it is just so powerfully strong and it's a really vulnerable time for women to know how to think through this because you're in the fog yeah yeah you're 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 at your most vulnerable you've ever been in your life and and also you know the messaging that you get around it is that that you know it's normal you know you're gonna feel like that and it is to a certain extent but it's so hard to know where the line is where it's actually you know maybe this is a little more than what you should be expecting. You know, like I was, I just, like I was waking up in a cold sweat for months afterwards and imagining I was at the hospital and about to give birth again. And, and no, and I didn't know I was pregnant and literally cold sweats. Um, and, and kind of operating on a I like I, I don't even remember a lot of a lot of the birth and a lot of afterwards because I was just my brain was just like no we're not doing this mm-hmm. you know we can't deal with it um so it's hard and like the postnatal care in Ireland leaves a whole lot to be desired you know um that they're great for the babies and don't get me wrong like the maternity hospitals are amazing and they looked after me so well and you know the birth was traumatic and everything that happened. And we can talk about that. Mm. And I'm okay to talk about that. Um, they did the best they can, they could do. Mm. But once you're out of the hospital, like I had to beg my nurse, the uh, public health nurse mm. to just even look at my stitches. I'm like, I'd been absolutely torn to shreds and, and nobody asked me if I was okay. Nobody mm. checked, nobody, you know, nobody inquired as to my mental health. I was given a sheet and there was like, you know, postnatal depression circled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I wanted to look at this website, if I had any concerns, but like that was it. It was six months later that I had to reach out to Milltown Physiotherapy who are amazing for postnatal care for women. Um, and Cause I, I was like, I just, I just want someone to check. Can you just mm. check everything's okay down there? Cause it doesn't feel necessarily right, you know? Um, so yeah, the, the postnatal care is really, really, really not good in Ireland. You know, I feel like there has just been a, like the, like the book closed as soon as they figured out how to get the baby out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've done your bit and, and don't, and don't complain, like don't draw attention to it, you know, just, yes, it's tough. 
like, shh, go over there. And let's just see your pretty little baby. You know, we don't want to hear about your mm-hmm. episiotomy or your night terrors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we just want to see the cute little baby. And that's not just the health service. I think that's unfortunately culture. Yeah, it's institutional sexism, actually, mm. um, and a kind of a, a, a bit of a prudishness. Then the only way that that can be tackled is by people talking about it, you know? Like, you have to talk about it for it to become more normal to feel okay to talk about it. Mm. Um, yeah, it, you, you, you're, you're in, it's in, a, it's in a bind. You're really in a bind when you're a woman. In, in, in but I, I think it's, it also stems from how welcomed are we to speak about the fact that we suffer period pains every month? Yeah, not at all. all. Like if you come into work, well, not you wouldn't now, but if you were in the past to have gone into work with a cold yeah, and there's all this sympathy and, oh, can I get you a limb sip? And are you all right? Oh, you're sick. You know, you go in with period pain, you, you, you are, you might feel so ill and you sit at your desk and you say absolutely nothing. Yeah. And that happens for some women every month from the, from the time that they are 10, 11, 12 till the time they are 55 years old. Yeah. You just have to put up and shut up. So that's, I, I can't do the maths on that, but that's a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. And so when it comes to having, as you said, a safe conversation to feel like there's a safe space yeah. to express something that was genuinely painful genuinely traumatic um and it's not about you know there's all this oh don't don't speak about it because you put other women off or don't speak about it because weren't you so lucky that you got your baby and don't speak about it because you've done your job Mm. and don't you just think that's so insulting to women like can you imagine if you were a woman who was actually put off having a baby because someone told you like it doesn't work like that we're not a bunch of idiots you know mm. who, who are who are going to be you know we're powerful strong amazing women and 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 that's lost in the like just you know don't talk about it. you're going to scare everybody and people don't want to know about that yucky bit like that that demeans women who are doing these amazing and powerful, incredible things. Like it is animal nature, you know? It's amazing what women are doing. I, I think it's also representative where we are in society where we are just so removed from our bodies. Mm. You know, almost it's also like I don't it's not the same thing, but it's like how we're removed from like the meat we eat, you know what I mean? It's like we're not our basic biology, our basic nature is like you know, put that over there, you know, it's yucky, it's dirty or whatever it is. And and it's so detrimental to not inherently understand those parts of ourselves. It like, I, I, I just never forget being in Hall Street and seeing all those women and, and there's something so beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. Like it is yucky and it is all these things, but it's beautiful and it's amazing you know, and it's empowering to accept it and to talk about it. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> it, I don't understand how more uh, attention, like positive attention isn't poured onto it because it is one, it, it is the most important thing that will happen for us to continue, for us to stay alive. Yeah. It isn't something that you should just be, hi, I'm in my gorgeous um maternity outfits and then I'm going to disappear for a while and then I'm going to pop back out with a 
here's my baby and don't fill in the gap. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a disservice to women because the gap is the amazing bit. That's what, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. So take us through it in as safe a way as you feel comfortable to. Yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate you saying like that. Um, so my waters broke at, at 40 weeks on the day, which is, you know, I know you know this, but that's unusual. Yeah. Um, it's not like the movies, but it kind of was like the movies for me. <laughs> um, so my waters broke in the shower at 40 weeks, like on the day. Um, so I kind of planned to labor at home as long as possible. Um, but really that was not going to happen because the, the, the waters were just gone um proper gushing out of me I also want to say before I say this story I think it's really important for anyone listening that there is a trigger warning that I'm not going to fluff over bits here um so like if you have had a traumatic birth and and you're not in the place where you're ready to talk or think about that yet I think now would be the part to tune out or to fast forward um but if you haven't then I would encourage you to listen because I do think it's important to hear these stories we do need to know all perspectives and all experiences yeah so important yeah um so I went into the hospital straight away and it wasn't even like in labor I didn't feel any pains or anything and when I was in the car checked in and the woman the receptionist said to me you know are you in active labor are you, do you have any contractions? And I said, no. And then literally about 20 seconds later, I kind of went, whoa, <laughs> like that. She's like, okay, I'm going to take that as actually a yes. Um, so it kind of started in earnest, literally within 10 minutes of being in the hospital. Um, the hospital was full. So there was no room in any of the um, labor wards. Uh, so they brought me to the emergency room and that was really the first thing that kind of threw me because um, it was really, there's a lot of people around, was bright lights. The bed was kind of too high off the floor. So like my feet were dangling. It was just really uncomfortable, um, but fine, whatever. Mm. Um, within about an hour, maybe two hours, the kind of pain went from zero to probably six or seven and we were doing the tens machine we were doing all the different positions um, and breathing and all of the playbook um that we'd practiced before and it wasn't unbearable um it start, slowly started to rise over again probably an hour or two and it got to the point where i said okay i i, I want the epidural hands up um and i'd kind of you know I didn't have a birth plan, but I had, you know, a couple of ideal scenarios and epidural. I didn't necessarily want it, but I was like, but if I say I want it, then, you know, that's fine too. Like I was open to all suggestions or how I was going to feel on the day. Um, So I said I wanted the epidural. They needed to monitor him for a little bit first. And in that time, it went from a seven, eight to like 11. And I kind of, this is where it gets a bit patchy. And a lot of what I know is kind of like almost freeze frame kind of Mm -hmm. photos in my mind. And also what Rory has told me. So I, like my eyes started rolling into the back of my head. I was screaming, like really screaming. Um, 
I was like an animal, really, is the only mm. way to describe it. But panicked, like I couldn't stay still. I was kind of writhing. And every so often I grabbed Rory, his face, and say, like, please, please fucking help me. It was really really um awful for him a horrible experience for him to have to go through they couldn't get the monitor on properly so eventually anyway they they did and kai was fine so they gave me the first epidural and it didn't take so then they moved me upstairs at that point i got into the ward and I just, I don't even remember it like it was, the, the, the problem was it, Kai was facing the wrong way. He was stargazing and the back of his head was pushed up against my spine, um, which retrospectively is not that unusual, um, but can be incredibly painful. And they think that's what kind of happened. Um, so cue another, I think two hours of that kind of pain. I really do mean 11, like I can't, I have blocked a lot of it out. I can just remember like flashes of kind of rolling around in the bed. Um, and then eventually I got the second epidural. So I went into hospital at probably 10 o'clock at night. And I got the second epidural around five, I think, or six in the morning. Um, in terms of dilation, I'd, I dilated quite quickly. I'd gone to like... I think six by the time I was like hadn't even moved up to the labor ward um and then once the epidural it's always the same as it once the epidural hits everybody's like oh, suddenly it's like a shutters go up and you're a different human being and Rory was like it was actually so mind-boggling that like within 10 minutes you were talking to me you know and like whereas before you'd been you know just not you um and so, yeah, so I had about an hour then of talking and Kai was at that stage still facing the wrong way, but moving down. And they got me to push for about two hours, quite a long time. And he just wasn't turning, but he was moving down. So he got to the point where he was in the birth canal and it was like pushing against a brick wall is the only way I can describe it it just wasn't nothing was happening I couldn't feel like I, I could feel bits from the epidural I wasn't completely numb but I knew there was nothing happening it was mm. there was no movement and it starts to get a bit fuzzy again now because it just you know when you get to that point where or maybe you don't know but you just see you start to notice facial expressions happening mm between nurses and doctors and you just start to get the feeling like something's wrong you know and they're not they weren't really communicating with me and at that stage I was on so many drugs um and so sorry take a minute mm. um so they tried they tried the vacuum first which was unsuccessful and eventually got the forceps out and cut me like all the way around. Um, got the forceps out and it was just, it was just so animalistic. There's something so brutal about it. He was wrenched from me. Like the doctor was, she had her foot against the bed and she was lifted up off the ground with her whole weight on the forceps pulling back. 
Um, and I just remember absolutely screaming and the midwife looking at me and them all looking at each other. And I, I just knew if you don't get them out in the next seconds, we're, we're in really, really big trouble here. Mm. And I couldn't do anything. And my whole body was being lifted off the ground with the pull of the forceps or off the bed with the pull mm. of the forceps. And anyway, eventually he, he came out. Um, and but you know the ne the next bit actually is the most emotional bit for me because it, it was Kai in the world, um, and he was put on my chest for like a split second, literally a split second, and then taken away. And there was a, an alarm going off, um, which I only became aware of at that point. And I was like, God, I wonder what that is. Mm -hmm. And that was for us. That was for me and for him, that alarm. And there was suddenly a lot of people in the room. Um, again, this is kind of flashes for me. Um, like 15 doctors or nurses, I don't know, a lot of people yeah. all around him. He just got taken away. <clears throat> and then I had about, they started stitching me back up and I had about half an hour. And then I had to go into surgery because my placenta was stuck and it wasn't coming out. And I actually ended up knowing my anaesthetist as I went into surgery. I was lying in the bed looking up and his head appeared over me. And the last time I'd seen him had been at like four o'clock in the morning dancing on the table in Tanzania. <laughs> it's a complete mindfuck. It's like, whoa, what is going on? Anyway, they operated on me. And, and what they did to me in that room was was like representative of what you do to a cow in, in, in a, in a, in a barn as you were pulling out, like literally in me up to the elbow and they over, they gave me too many drugs. Um, not, not in a dangerous way, but you know, in a way that made me uncomfortable, I literally couldn't feel anything. Um, for, for a long time, you know, it's meant, you're meant to kind of get feeling back over after a certain amount of time, they kept coming in and going the psh, down the front and um kept being like really you still can't feel anything i'm like no uh and then eventually i came out and that whole time and this is this is the bit that catches me every time i didn't think about him about kai i i couldn't i don't know i i just didn't it didn't even occur to me that there was a baby in the world who i'd brought into the world who was my baby sorry um, take your time I don't think I my brain it was just in survival mode you know and um, I think if someone had explained to me that that was okay it would have helped a lot uh, like my mum kind of tells the story of her coming in the next day and I again like I didn't even I was in NICU for a week um, and he was black and blue he was just uh, like his head I d he didn't his head was scarred for weeks months afterwards he had big grazes and all along his forehead purple bruising and all everywhere and for a long time I thought he was brain damaged even though everyone was mm. saying he was fine I became quite obsessed with it um and yeah, so we were there for a week and, and I, I, and it's this ambivalence thing, right? I, 
simultaneously it was I knew how much I loved him and I can remember on the first morning the sun coming up you know whatever really early in the morning four o'clock in the morning and I had him in my arms and I remember just crying <laughs> and I didn't know if I was happy or sad or what I was I was just everything in one um but I I he also really reminded me of this really horrible experience mm. it was this it's a, a horrible um duality of this perfect beautiful vulnerable gorgeous innocent little thing yeah. and then you look at him and all you can think of is screaming and blood and you know um oh so yeah <laughs> um but and I think- now I love him and I, and I'm not, you know, and I always have loved him and, but now I don't see that anymore. And and now I can go through it and talk about it. And it's always going to be a traumatic event, but you know, I think what it had taught me about humanity and vulnerability and, and like how those kind of moments can happen in life and you can get through them um is is powerful and and i wouldn't change it you know because it brought me him this podcast is just one way that every mum can support you another amazing way is with our free gift bag packed full of essentials for you and baby including free samples of water wipes the number one wipe against nappy rash to receive yours just register now on everymum.ie there's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum and it's why processing is so important. Yeah. So as not to stay locked in that duality where the gorgeous baby that you desperately want to have all this positive emotion for is triggering all of this yeah. fear. Yeah. But to recognize that you did go through fear. You did yeah. go through something physically traumatic emotionally traumatic mentally traumatic Mm. and the only way out of it isn't silence no it's through it it's through it it's not silence and it's not oh oh i'm fine yeah um, you know everyone holding the baby and who's holding the mom that it's it's acknowledging it Mm. it is saying I love my baby and my birth has affected me. Mm. And it is acknowledging that if you had had that experience in any other circumstance in your life where it wasn't Mm. about birth, Mm. you would be telling that story and you would be, there would be so much medical from emotional and physical help towards you, the patient. Yeah. For months until you were recovered that was a real moment for me actually in the recovery and in like a year later someone said that to me like can you imagine if there was no baby if you took the baby out of the equation and if you had just had a surgery like that that was your appendix yeah like and when you think about it like that it's like god you know and yet when you put a baby into the equation it's there is this and I don't think it's even just always from the outside in it's also from moms who feel like I should just you know everyone goes through that you know or some version of that and also like it's important to say someone else could have that exact same birth 
and be totally fine. You know, that it's, it's a, it's a very personal experience. Um, but there's like, there's nothing wrong with feeling like absolutely mind boggled by it. And the only way through it, uh, this is something that I say therapy all the time is, is through it. You do have to go through it and you have to literally think it through and talk it through and, and process it. And, and, I didn't. I thought I did, which was the interesting thing. I really thought I had because I talked about it so much. And my Jesus, my poor family. <laughs> when they arrived in the hospital, like my father, who would be really squeamish, I, he sat there at the end of the bed and I made him listen to that story, <laughs> which I went into more detail. It's like I did talk about it, but not in the not in a not in the right way, you know, not in a way that was safe, like I keep saying, and that was kind of breathing and like letting my body know that it was okay now. Um, That's the difference. You were telling people what happened. Yeah. You were telling people information. Yeah. You weren't telling yourself. Yeah. This happened to you. Yeah. And it was awful. And now it is okay. Yeah. And now it is okay. And and it did take. It took a year, it took a miscarriage and nearly a new pregnancy for me to really, really stop and listen to the body and to be able to understand it better. You know, I'm like, jeez, I'm not through the woods. Whoever is, really. (laughs) There's always, when you're a woman and when you're a mother, there's always these things that you're processing and learning and growing from. Um... But it definitely took like up until the panic attack I had in November. Um, and for anyone who suffers with anxiety, I I, I really do. Um, I never understood it. I, don't, I thought I did. And I never understood it until I had that panic attack and until I really like have had anxiety the last, you know, six months. But it's, it's a, it forces you, physically forces you to deal with whatever it is that's going on in your subconscious that you were so unaware of you know and I think that that's something that we've forgotten about our bodies yeah we were we we became very about our minds and the head controls everything yeah and forgot about how it actually speaks to the body and vice versa there's a conversation happening all the time yeah and that was one of the first things I said in therapy like like I do, I meditate, I do mindfulness, I, you know, I do all this. And I was like, I just, I don't know why I can't think this through, you know, like logically I can't, you know, I just don't know why this is happening. And she was like, you can't, there's a difference between emotions and feelings and you can't, and thoughts and some of them you can control, but like some of them you can't, and they are physical manifestations in your body. And, and you, you can't, change the way your body reacts you know without actually listening to it <laughs> you, can't, you know you can you can think a th- thought and you can change your thoughts but you can't change your emotions they are reactions did anything specifically trigger that panic attack or was it the culmination of just the weight of everything going on <laughs> It was probably drinking, if I'm perfectly honest. I was drinking with my sister that night. I went out um, and and we went to the beach and I hadn't seen her. I'm really close to her. I hadn't seen her in ages. We went to the beach and it was 
like cold Halloween. We had a plastic bottle of wine and we sat there and chatted and I just told her everything. Mm. Um, and probably had brought it all up in a way especially you know booze can can mm. can do that it, it allows you to suddenly yeah. talk it loosens the gates yeah um so I think it had a lot to do with that um and everything had just been building it was inevitable you know it was it was gonna happen um yeah alcohol I haven't touched really alcohol since then obviously I'm pregnant now anyway and I've been pregnant for like you know on and off for a year um, but I don't think alcohol helps in any of those kind of situations long term at all. But it had to come up. Yeah, it, it was going to come out. It was it was kind of, you know, it was this podcast, but it was like neck high. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all there, um, wanting to come out, needing to come out. And I'm glad, you know, the way it happened, that panic attack was in my family home with my sister and my mum, who's a psychotherapist. So it was the best place it could have happened to me. Um, I literally went in. It happened in the middle of the night. Like I woke up, you know, having gone to bed and I had my litre of water and my Baraka and my Panadol. I was like, right, I'll be fine. Hmm. Uh, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning and was just, literally woke up and couldn't breathe. I woke up and was like, (gasps) you know, and felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. It was absolutely terrifying people who have panic attacks regularly are heroes i do not know how anybody could go through it more than once in their life how did it feel after the panic dissipated and you kind of came down from it even the next couple of days where were you at then exhausted i felt like someone had deflated a balloon i slept for like three days um, I felt, felt very vulnerable and very like raw, like a mm. like a like an open wound, um, and I think it's also it also kind of forced my mum, my sister, Rory, to really see how bad it had gotten and how I just needed help. And I started therapy the following week, um, and like I haven't gone on any medication, and I wouldn't be anti it at all. Um, but the therapy from day one, I think I was just lucky. I got an amazing therapist who was a specialist for like postnatal stuff, really like women's kind of specialist and and works with a lot of mothers and new mothers. And she's been incredible. She's just, you know, week by week. The first time I went into the therapy session, like I was such a cliche. I was like, you know, I just really like, you know, I just don't really think I need this. And like, <laughs> my mom's a therapist. Like, I do all this chat with her, and obviously, it's not the same thing. I thought I was fine. Walked up the stairs, sat down, and she was like, "How are you?" And I just started to cry. And I cried for the full forty-five minutes. It was like embarrassing. I just couldn't stop it. I, you know, it was ugly snot and everything, and um, I just cried and cried and cried and cried. Forty-five minutes, and she's like, "Okay." see you next week <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh I can't do this I like, cry every week <laughs> take my money take yeah but there it's is something. Some, there is something so insanely powerful around how someone can just look you in the eye and ask you how are you yeah and you can crumble yeah 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 and someone who you know 
you're there's a lot of my issues are about worrying about the other person like I don't want to make them worried about me and I don't want to have to you know look after them I'm always more concerned about how they're going to react and be worried about me and to be able to just like I don't care what this woman thinks of me she she's not going to be worried you know I can say whatever I can say the deepest darkest thought I have and and this is okay and it's safe you know it's uh, it's so freeing it's it's an amazing I can't I think everybody no matter what experience oh. they've been through in life should go to therapy <laughs> I this is again a thing that we need to talk about because like why is it so normal to go and get your teeth cleaned yeah and not get your brain cleaned <laughs> not get your brain cleaned we go and get our teeth cleaned we go and get checkups yeah we don't just go when we have an abscess that is like destroying <laughs> awful yeah ourselves. exactly yeah. we go regularly to yeah. constantly be and like our brain is processing a thousand fear things that are happening whether that's just crossing the road mm-hmm. to fixing your job to mm. something irrational happening to your child yeah you know to a giant pandemic coming in and yeah. you know like there's been a bit going on just just a few bits and pieces just a few bits and pieces it's self-care like it really is self-care just to to keep up with yourself and to check in with yourself and to you know but the thing about the self-care bit though is I'm so afraid that people think oh well I you know well I've, I've had my baths with my oils I so I, I must that's all I need mm. like no it isn't all any of us need no no all of us need somewhere that we can we can talk and we can be told what you're feeling is like normal and here's why. Yeah. And then you just kind of see the light through it and, or even just somewhere where you can go and just cry. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. It's so valuable. And I think the people who probably need it most are the people who don't know that they need it or don't think they need it. You know, those warrior women who just keep going and keep going and keep going they they take it on they take it on they take it on Mm. but and they can and it's not mm. to say they can't like they can but that doesn't mean that they should you know I still think that it'll come up eventually yeah it'll it'll come out in some manifestation eventually yeah and wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to get to breaking point yeah before we had those conversations yeah yeah and I just you know I just I think you don't even have to have gone through anything near what I went through I I I I just I just look at mums you know and I just think and I don't mean to be like Debbie Downer saying this but I think we are some of them it's it's a really difficult time to be a mum now I think that we've lost our tribe we've lost our village it's very isolating at the same time simultaneously you know and jesus like everyone like i'm mothers should be able to work but but to then have to be going back into work and balancing that and all of the different pressures that mothers are put under and the childcare is terrible in ireland and the postnatal care is terrible in ireland and all of these different things i just think you're you're put into this impossible position as a mom and it'd be bizarre if you didn't need help you know if you didn't need someone to talk to and you didn't need a hand and you didn't need to just break down and have a big old sob but society throws you a baby shower (laughs) 
<laughs> get a baby shower. <laughs> well, exactly. For a lot of women, they didn't. But that's that's what's you know that's yeah. what that's yeah. what it's like is celebrated. Yeah. You know, that's when people come together, and that's your little. It's like your little gem of kind of oh, I'm special for this afternoon. Yeah. And then it's like you're done. Who who's going to help me now? Yeah. Who's going to help me now when I'm, you know, when you, all those things that you just said about, you know, the cost of childcare, the yeah. pressures when it comes to how am I still to show up as the professional I want to be? Mm. And when, pretend that I don't have a, a, a child. Pretend you don't have a child. And that's not the case. I have to say an image we're, 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 we're really lucky in that it's like, you know, we're 95% women and, and there is a, su- a support there, but like most workplaces, you know, you, you, you can't be a mum because if you're, if you're a mum, then it indicates that you're not 100% dedicated to your job because obviously you're 100% dedicated to your child and there's only so much of one person, do you know? And so the trauma continues because trauma is anything that is causing you fear. Yeah. It doesn't... And, and trauma layers. Yeah. It's another thing that I learned, you know, you, you, you can have one uh, one big traumatic event, or you can have a series of smaller events that um, build and build and build and build, um, and and they don't have to even be like a, a big gigantic thing. It can be something quite small that keeps happening, that can build up and build up and layer on top, and before you know it, you're in a, you know a really bad scenario, mental health wise. And they can often be things like that you don't acknowledge or you don't feel justified to to say or to complain about but it isn't what has happened it's how what has happened has made you feel yeah and that has been a really difficult thing for me to work through is that shame that why can't I deal with this Mm. and why you know what's wrong with me and that I'm not coping like is this normal I, I found myself always saying that at the beginning of therapy and and to my mom and stuff like what what like is it normal that I'm feeling this is it normal that I'm feeling that is that normal like why am I not coping why are other people like look at you know Sarah down the road like she looks great and she's wearing a dress and she's back to work and mm. and but the things you never know what's going on behind closed doors you know I'm sure people thought they thought that about me um, you, everybody's journey is so different that you can't compare and that you know you, I think the talking is the key to unlocking the shame bit and the stigma bit and if we all knew the different journeys that everybody was on you wouldn't compare and you wouldn't judge yourself and you wouldn't feel that shame for wondering why you know How are you doing when it comes to the fact that you are now seven months pregnant. Yeah, seven and a half. It's happening so fast. So I'm good. I'm really good. Like it's been a really long journey. Um, I think the first trimester of this pregnancy, I just didn't even, I was, I was first of all, I was so sick. Um, I, I was hospitalized after not being able to keep down water for about five days eventually like it wasn't like until I have a toddler I was about sick it wasn't like Nino Nino (laughs) wasn't ambulance situation but I was hospitalized because I just was like look we just need to put you on a drip basically and and they put me on caravan which 
for anyone listening, if you have really, really bad morning sickness, it is amazing. Um, so the first trimester just, I couldn't even go there in my head. Uh, and because of the miscarriage as well, oh. I was just on absolute edge. And so I was just a shadow person, just hoping and praying. And, you know, we got through it. Then that was Christmas. And actually that was the last time I was here. I'm in Mayo. And I still, mm. the first time I came into the room downstairs yesterday, you know, like that visceral, when you, the last time you were in a space, you mm-hmm. remember what you felt like. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I literally walked into the kitchen and was like, even the smell of the kitchen here, it just took me back. I was so sick and so scared and in such a bad place. But I'm, yeah, second trimester, I started to talk to the baby a little bit mm. for the first, like I remember the first time I did it and it felt so alien. I was so removed from it. Um, whereas with Kai, I was, Jesus, from like day two, I was, you know, singing songs to him and, 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 and all of that. Um, and as I went through the second trimester, the bump popped out much earlier than Kai. So it became much more real once you can kind of see the bump. Um, and it's just been positive. It's moved really slowly and steadily in a positive direction since then. I've obviously kept going with therapy I've been talking to my consultant and I also have a doula so I have these three amazing powerful women who are my support pillars around me and I think that's a really key thing to have um they are phenomenal women each of them in their own right and you know they have each kind of area of my you know mind body soul covered um so I'm kind of I haven't made the decision about the birth yet. I haven't decided if I'm going to have a C-section mm-hmm. or if I'm going to go vaginally. I kind of, my family are all definitely, everybody is very pro C-section <laughs> because they all saw what I went through mm. and I'm definitely not anti-C-section. What I want to get to is a point where I'm making the decision out of, where I'm not making the decision from a place of fear. I want to get to the point where I'm making the decision from a place of confidence and informed calm. Um, and I'm on the journey to that place. Um, I just haven't got there yet. My consultant is great. She's kind of said, you know, we can get 36 weeks and talk about it then. And also be informed by the size of the baby, by how the baby's sitting, like the baby's breech right now. So you never know, it might be taken out of my hands. Exactly, yeah. Um, and yeah, and she's even said, you know, if you decide you want to go into labor and then you go into labor and then you change your mind and say you want a C-section, we can do that too, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's been another big lesson for me actually in, in that they can do a lot more than you know they can do. You know, when you start to talk, um, and put on the table, like I did my last, um, maternity appointment, I said, I think it's important, you know, I've, I've been suffering anxiety the last six months, this happened, that happened. And I was just, I was ashamed to say it, which is awful considering all the things I know. But the second I said it, I could see her be like, that's really great. I'm, you know, that's really, I, it's important that I know that. It's great that's on the table. There's so many things we can do. And, you know, if you have a panic attack or anything happens when you're in the hospital, I'll know what to do. You know, we'll all be there. You're safe. We will get that baby out we will look after you, we will look after the baby, it's all going to be okay. Um, And I really feel 
I just really trust the people who are around me and and I know now afterwards as well like we I have built up those pillars of support mm-hmm. for during and after um and everybody knows you know everybody is going to be there to help and yeah I feel good I feel more myself and more grounded than I have in two and a half years for sure do you I mean we can never go back to who we were before but do you feel like you are growing into who you should have been for the last two and a half years as a mother do you feel like you're finally figuring her out loving her actually yeah giving her a bit more time than than I think before I didn't even consider her it was more about him it was more about Kai um I hear this so often talked about women's expression you can't pour from an empty cup you know it's been a really hard lesson to me to learn to ask for that support and that there is no shame in it and that people can't read your mind they're not going to know that you need the support unless you ask for it um and I you know I there was a time where I didn't have hope where I kind of thought that like Jesus this is just it now this is just what it's like to be a mum you just will feel like this and feel terrified and on edge and like you're doing a bit of a crap job, but you're so in love, you know, all those mad feelings at the beginning. But I, I'm beginning to see a very different experience now where I'm myself again. I'm starting to see old me, you know, joyful me who can have a bit of a giggle and who isn't worried all the time. Mm. Um, and who, who will be able to manage it but will be able to know when she's not able to manage it and and will ask for help when she needs it it's it's jesus it's a journey like it's like almost 360 you know um and i'm sure there'll be other uh many other bumps in the road but i feel like i'm much more equipped now to deal with them Mm. i feel like i know what i need to do when i when i have a bump coming and i and i a physical bump <laughs> a bump, bump. <laughs> but I know the strategies to put in place you know now and that's the thing that we're not taught yeah oh god they should teach that stuff in school you know that's how the thing that what are you the antenatal classes there's you know how to care for a baby and how to change a nappy they are mm-hmm. so irrelevant in the grand scheme of <laughs> what are the strategies that you need to put in place to look after you? Because the greatest thing that you can give your child is a well mother. Yeah. That is the greatest way that you care for your child is by actually caring for yourself. And it's not selfish and it's not, and look, I'm saying this, I'm the worst in the world at listening and taking this advice. I will, I will, you know, do what we all do where it's just keep going and get to the end of the day and yeah no it's fine i'll eat last or you know you know and i think care of everyone do that i think that is that is a really i think that's the common thing that mums do you know um but it's but it's not it's not helpful for in the long term so not helpful it's so not helpful and it doesn't have to be all or nothing though you know there are just little things you can do for you um someone said to me recently I, I was interviewing someone they were talking about magic in the mundane mm. like she was like just extend your shower for like 
five minutes and take that five minutes and like give yourself a head massage. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such a small thing, but it's so true. Like five minutes, that extra five minutes just for you and not the like manic, get the hair washed and be half thinking about what you're cooking for dinner and half doing whatever, you know, but just to take that little bit of time, 1% more of the day for you, um, is it, it can be a huge difference. I actually said this to my therapist. I feel like I'm talking about her so much. I said this to my therapist last week and she's like, yeah, or you could take 5% of the day or you could take 10% of the day. She's like, it doesn't have to just be 1% either. Um, but you know, it's a start to just do 1%. Yeah, look, there, there are, it's, it's about build. It, I, I find where I struggle is where things feel impossible like escape yeah. feels impossible or I couldn't possibly do that for myself because that's impossible. Yeah, you know, it's, it is about acknowledging those, that, that magic and the, the small micro moments mm. that bring you back into calm. Mm. So whether that is, okay, so the nap has just happened and you go downstairs and you make that cup of tea, drink it in the garden in fresh air. Yeah. Yeah. Take in some nature just take into nature. Yes, you can't leave the house and yes, you're trapped until the nap is over. Yeah. But you can, you know, take a piece of paper out with you and sit in the garden and write down all the things that are buzzing in your head. Yeah. And the moment you see your husband next or your partner, you say, the piece of paper. <laughs> Hi, these are all of the things that are freaking me out right now. Can we talk? Yeah. yeah. I actually did something very similar a few months ago with uh, with Rory and he was so shocked he was like wow there's so much going on in your head <laughs> I was like I know they can't know. read our minds they can't yeah. read our minds so yeah. and I definitely know I don't know about you but I I then erupt in this frustration that I'm not being supported yeah. but I've never vocalized how I need to be supported and that's just not with him that could be with anyone yeah so it's it's a it's a case of asking yourself those things yeah. in, in a safe, kind way, the way that your therapist has taught you to talk to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And it is the little things, it's little steps towards it. Yeah. And I just, I, I just think it's so important that people understand that like, it doesn't have to be this huge thing that, mm. you know, trauma, I wish there was almost a different word for it because trauma sounds so traumatic <laughs> but it doesn't have to be a big thing you know it can it can, it can just be the, the the small things every day and and by asking for small pieces of help and small bits of clarity and layering them up on top it can make a world of difference for for a mother for anyone and I think even losing yourself in the transition from woman to mother is trauma enough yeah to need those pillars of support that you spoke about yeah to yeah. just figure out this, this adjustment because it's it's so it's sometimes so bizarre to not know yourself physically emotionally yeah um your whole life is is, is unrecognizable unrecognizable mm. and you know people do say that but you can't understand it until it's happened you can't even begin to comprehend what's going on until you're in the thick of it it's it's such a hard thing and it's such a wonderful thing and it's such a wonderful thing it's such a wonderful thing yeah because how i was just going to wrap up here by is by saying and it is something that we are then 
primarily motivated to want to do again. Yeah, I know. I know. It's such a bizarre, bizarre thing. When I turned around to Rory and was like, okay, I think, I, I think, I think we could do this again. He's what? <laughs> like I know I know what's wrong with me I can't stop thinking about it <laughs> yeah, it's amazing it's, it's how yeah. the world keeps on going yeah <laughs> hormones awesome. hormones are insane yeah yeah manipulative <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but it 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 is it is the greatest love mm. and, and I and I would hate to think that anyone was missing out on the on the full power of that feeling because mm. something was hurting them. Um, yeah. And so there, I there just feel like something very healing, you know, for anyone who is listening and who has been through a traumatic birth, the, the, and I don't think you need to have another baby in order to get over a traumatic birth. Yeah. I'm not saying that by any means, but there's something very healing about, about, it feels like a, a, a full circle and going again and that you know I am going into this experience healing from the previous experience and and going into it saying okay I'm go- I'm trusting my body again you know mm. and it, it is a, it's a powerful nice feeling and I get why people would be so scared to go again and I, and I don't think you should if you don't want to but um, if you're thinking about it and those hormones are gushing it will be okay you know it will be okay but you've done you've done the therapy you know you've done the care that you need yeah you know rushing into it because your hormones are wanting it when you haven't taken care of your mind yeah you know that that must be a very difficult place so it is about it is about recognizing that there is something going on that you just need a little bit of help with yeah and it doesn't have to feel any bigger than that yeah and then once you feel in a safe space make your decision with by feeling more empowered i feel like i have set everything up in a way that even if things go wrong and they're bound to you know sure this is the way mm-hmm. I'll, I'll i'll be okay i'll be minded i i have you know a safety net and then a safety net under that and then a safety net under that so you know I'm I feel I feel safe I feel that's the word of the podcast but I, mm. I really do feel safe I feel okay I, I I've set everything up and I am informed and I am confident and knowledgeable and I know that everything could go tits up and you know may but that's going to be okay and we'll get through it you know and I'll have everyone there to make sure I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> well done. And I wish you so much love and luck. And I can't wait to hear when baby is safely here. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much. It's such a nice chat. I don't know how I'm going to go back to toddler life now. <laughs> you can tell the guy all about it. <laughs> well, we both will. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to Waterwipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash for their support. Proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, Waterwipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipe. And the winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes, 
so you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoy this conversation, subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with every mum and this week's guest, Dominique McMullen, on Instagram. Talk to you again next week.